we all have a tremendous amount of self-doubt and it you don't have to be officially an athlete actively competing in a recognized sport we have self-doubt in life and we have self-doubt when it comes to whatever our finish lines are and we create obstacles that don't need to be there and so the lessons from my experience racing and racing at that level are no matter what's on your finish line know what it is whether it's the job that you're trying to get the education you're aiming for the test you're trying to pass being very clear about what is on that finish line and acknowledging yourself talk in regards to it is the lesson because what you say while it won't guarantee the outcome it will create possibility that's masters world track cycling champion and peloton senior instructor christine dier cole i'm john moffett and i'm so glad you've joined us today for another episode of sports life balance as a young woman christine dreamed of becoming a ballerina but her muscular athletic build wasn't what people in charge were looking for so in high school she refocused her ambition to acting and attended carnegie mellon university studying theater and performing arts. Then she went to New York City to pursue her dreams, and she couldn't land a part. But she did have her bike, and she loved how riding made her feel. It was then that Christine discovered what her strong legs were for, eventually winning five national championships and proudly wearing the world champion jersey. Today, Christine is an inspirational speaker and passionate storyteller with more than one million of her Peloton workouts downloaded by members. But it's her mantra, I am, I can, I will, I do, that has kept her crossing the finish line first and inspired thousands to ride right along with her. Christine, thank you so much for taking time to join us today on Sports Life Balance. I'm really psyched that we get to chat. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan of yours. I have done many, many, many Christine Dear Cole rides. Well, thank you. <laughs> and Peloton has been a savior for my wife and my daughter and I during COVID. Yeah, it really has been for so many people. And I feel really honored to be able to be a part of something that has been able to keep people sane during this seriously challenging time. Yeah, cl clearly, clearly. And, and, and part of the, part of the sanity that I, uh, I get from your rides is that they're actually quite intimate because you share your stories. Um, you will bear your soul at times. And sometimes you, you, sometimes you really get emotional and lose it in front of, might I add, thousands of people on Peloton rides. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, transparency is my jam, and I, I can't help it. Um, I think that I spent a lot of time earlier years um, really feeling like I had to pretend I was more put together than I was. And it somewhere along the line, a shift developed where it became far more empowering to just be honest about what I don't know and what I don't know that I don't know and start 
from that place, which it, it really is about being curious about things instead of judging oneself for what you don't know or don't understand. If you go in with curiosity. And so when I go into a ride, I, I don't know I'm going to have that response, but I know I chose that bunch of songs for some reason that is linked to something in my gut because there's no song on any playlist that is just filler. So um, I'm having the same experience as the writer's having in a lot of ways. And I sometimes I'm like, I, I don't, I can't, I'm feeling it too. And I know that there are people out there with me having that same kind of cathartic moment. And uh, it's a really powerful thing. I would love to actually say something about that. Yes, of course. <laughs> I think I am not a scientist, but I think that there is deep science to rhythmic movement, which increases the heat of the body, which increases your oxygen intake, very much like cooking. You put something on heat, it changes the oxygen. You have more oxygen as you move it around and you change the chemistry of the thing that you're cooking. And when you put yourself in this position and you stir, if you will, yourself through this rhythmic movement and heat and oxygen, and then you have your thoughts and your feelings. And when all of this is happening in a guided situation, that it really creates an opportunity to break, an opportunity to have moments of change that I find so, so powerful. And I get a lot of feedback. I lost it. I was sobbing ugly tears for that entire section. And I am relieved and I am refreshed and I am renewed. And that's, if I can, if I can facilitate that, I've, I feel like, like I've, I'm, I'm good. I feel good about my life. <laughs> well, I can, I can speak for myself in that I find your rides uh, very cathartic and they're a great little escape and they, they help me, uh, help me oftentimes kind of make sense of things. Things get resorted um, tasks or, or what have you. So I, I, I appreciate that. And it's, it's perhaps the main reason. Well, one of the main reasons that I wanted to chat with you. Thank you. Um, so you, you spoke about rhythmic movement, um, and that love of that rhythmic movement movement goes way back for you. Um, when you were young, you were a ballerina. Yes, I was a dancer that, uh, didn't pan out. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a ballerina but they wouldn't put me in performances where the costume, the, the required costume for the piece was a short tutu because my legs were enough bigger than the other girls that in the opinion of the powers that be, I stood out in a negative way. And since I wasn't the soloist, whatever their reasoning, I experienced a lot of shame from that the experience of being lined up and put on a scale in front of the entire room and having your weight recorded and thereby your worth determined was damaging. And this is 
this is life for so many, so many, and not just girls. I mean, it's it's anyone involved in any kind of activity where your appearance is deeply tied to your success. And not just your appearance, but someone else's opinion of your appearance. And it has nothing to do with your talent or your integrity. And when I, I really put myself through a lot of self-harm in order to try to make myself smaller. All of the things that the teenagers do, all of the things that the dancers do. And I really, really did some damage. Acting became an alternative. And through years of therapy as a young teenager, 14 and 15, around the time I stopped, it was recommended to my parents that they get me into acting because during some, what do you call that type of theater? I mean, not type of theater, type of therapy, um, psychodrama, I think, where you enact scenarios. Well, I got into those enactments <laughs> pretty convincingly and passionately, and they thought that maybe this would be a good outlet for me. I ended up getting into performing arts high school in Philadelphia. I got into Carnegie Mellon for acting. So I thought, well, this is a sign. And there's roles for everyone at every size, every age, every type. So this must be right. And that Carnegie Mellon stamp of approval, okay. I'm condensing time here because there's so much, <laughs> but I came across an audition feedback sheet that said a lot of lovely things about my monologues. And at the bottom it said, she's a little heavy in the thigh. Oh. And that was like a, a slingshot, a, a throw me back. It literally ripped out from under me everything that I thought was right again. Right. And the, the, the words that come with that are, am I not built for any of my dreams Oof. because of what somebody else thinks about my body? I have this great desire to tell, to be a storyteller on stage, whether that is through dance or through acting, to tell a story that can change a life. Dance inspired me when I was five years old. When I was five years old, I thought it was the pretty costume. I thought it was the, the beautiful movement, but it, it was storytelling. Mm -hmm. I realized that in retrospect, it was, that was the root of what inspired me, was how you can tell a story in your body. And in theater, I remember being moved so, so moved. And I wanted to do that. And now here I'm being given again the message, no, you're too something. I graduated. I came to New York City. I was auditioning. And for quite some time, I couldn't get, I could not get cast. I got an audition right out. I was like, yes. Because I was still pursuing, was still trying. The same time I was riding my bike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Funny bit about that is that I was, when I came to New York City, I was very afraid to take the subway. Hmm. 
I was afraid of being seen looking confused at the subway map. And I thought I would get mugged in that moment of looking confused. <laughs> oh, she doesn't know where she is. Let's get her. And so I learned the city above ground on bike. Funny that I felt safer on a bike in New York City, but I did. I'd always ridden my bike. Yeah. I'd always had my bike. So I was bike messengering. Right. And auditioning at the same time. So I'd like fold up a skirt under my jacket, clean the grease out from under my nails, lock up the bike, put on some lipstick, take <laughs> off the helmet, go do some Shakespeare, get back on the bike, go deliver a package <laughs> and claim that I had a flat <laughs> that took me so long. <laughs> Through this messenger community, I learned about racing and we used to just play race in the park at the end of the day of, of messengering. And they were like, you're fast. You should try. You should try. You should just check it out. And I did. And I fell in love with it. So, so this is, this is after college is, is this, so you went to this Carnegie is, Mellon mm -hmm. and then you went to New York city to pursue your dream, which was acting. Yes. But in the process. I really dug into cycling. And I was getting on a team. I was, I went to my agent and I said, listen, I'm not getting cast. I, I don't know. Like, what am I doing wrong? And they said, well, we, you, you're not ready to be cast. We think it's going to be 10 years. You haven't grown into your castability. You're too, another too young oh. to play your character. Your character is Lady Macbeth. Your character is Renevsky. Your character is the grand dame, the diva, but you're 23. You're not going to get cast as that role. Not in, not in the real world. In college, yes, because everybody's 23. So I, I just thought this is, this is bananas. I can't, I, I understand building relationships and being in the industry, but this is this is killing me because I'm too big, too big, too young now. So, but I can race my bike and I can be successful because of who I am and the decisions that I make. And because of how I'm built, I can be successful. Not because of what anybody else thinks about my body. That's a that's a powerful message. Yeah. It is. It's 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 a massive realization to go from all of the faciality of everything and our our world, the world we live in, how you look is we're obsessed. But to be able to do things that have nothing to do with how you look or someone's opinion of how you look and be successful and be strong and feel empowered because all too often so much of our confidence comes from compliments mm. and there that's nothing that compliments are nothing and we put so much weight in them social media does this to us too it reinforces that well, and, and the flip side of compliments, of course, is what you experienced, which is you're too big, you're too young, et cetera, right? I mean, there is a yes. flip side. Yes, that is the criticism. Yes. So my agent said, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to go race my bike 
because that I've got to do now. I've got to do that now. If I've, I don't know how far I'm going to go, but if I've got a shot at, at anything, I mean, I wasn't thinking of the Olympics <laughs> <laughs> like you, <laughs> but how far could I go? I was full of curiosity and full of feeling empowered by possibility of this. Yeah, I think that there is a universality um, of all athletes if you ask how they got their start. It was a a bit of a freak chance. Like I was never ath- particularly athletic, but I could swim really well. Yeah. And I I love the water. And you have a multitude of talents, of course. Um, but but you figured out what your strong legs are for. Yes. Right. And you and you have that passion for. And I know what this is like. I love riding my bike. Like just getting out that freedom that exists with riding your bike. And it's this, this confluence of all these influences. That's the spark that gets athletes started on their journey. Yeah. Yeah. Discovering what you were built for. Hmm. That is, to me, that's the key. And that, that is a big message that I try to impart because in this world of fitness, there's the mentality is it. I need to get smaller. (sighs) Healthiness comes in many different shapes and sizes Mm -hmm. and forms. And I hope that in the messaging, in my teaching, I impart that aim for health, but you are bigger than a smaller pair of pants. And that's, that's so true. That's so true. And a lot of, I think your messaging comes from the spirit of being an athlete at heart. And this is what I resonate with. Um, It's not, you don't teach dance classes. You teach training classes that are accompanied by music and accompanied by um, your stories. Um, And going back to when you were starting to race bicycles, what what, how did you get bitten by the competition bug? What, what was, because you preach, don't be too competitive when you're on the <laughs> Peloton bike, but you do not make it to world champion unless you're competitive. Yes. I, I didn't realize I had this competitive thing in me. I'd never thought of myself as an athlete growing up. I wanted to be a ballerina. This is not, you know, I didn't, I didn't put that in the same box as an athlete. Um, I was the last kid picked for the soccer team. I barely got the presidential physical fitness award. <laughs> I couldn't do a push up to save my life. And so that, that, that unknown athlete was uh, a revelation to me. The, there's great satisfaction in winning, but winning is icing. What really drives me is this sort of addictive a- attachment to being afraid and getting at it. Because the the idea of maintain maintaining a space or staying in a, a space where I am afraid of something is is more horrifying than conquering it. Mm. 
in 2018, I was racing masters at T-Town and they had the masters races and then they had the UCI races, the elite races. And the masters races for listeners who don't know is your age category. Mm-hmm. And the elite races are the kids, most of them under 30, uh, a lot of them under 25. Right. And they're they're gunning for world championships. They mm-hmm. are gunning for elite world championships. They are gunning for Olympics. And so I did my race. And I saw a bunch of the masters that I had raced with get up and then also do the elite race. And I said, what's happening? Why are they doing that? They're going to get butchered. <laughs> and then I saw them all keep up. And I said to myself, okay, now you've got to reckon with yourself. <laughs> because if you were doing well in the master's races and the master's were hanging on fine with those elites, then you you are obligated to ask yourself, what if you can too? Because mm-hmm. it kind of looks like you can. I end up in an elite race. <laughs> I cannot even believe this happened. <laughs> and um, I, I just had to shift my expectations. So, you know what? See what happens. Mm-hmm. What if? What if? What if you? What if you're? What if you finish the race? What if you're not last? So that was my mindset. I'm playing. Remember, you love riding your bike. So get out there and ride your bike. And if you do get dropped, so what? You tried. It's a scratch race. 30 laps, first person over the line on the last lap wins. I find myself in a breakaway. Hmm. Me and one other girl. There's another girl who had broken away. She was half a lap ahead. Somehow the field lets us go and we end up catching the girl who was ahead of us. The three of us are together for a couple laps. It comes down to the last lap. The field is is gaining on us. And you've got like Kim Geist in there. (laughs) Like, um, respect, (laughs) so much respect. And the gun goes off for the last lap. And my legs were in, I was in flames. I think you could see the flames coming off of me. (laughs) And I somehow found a way to stand up and muster just a little more power. And I won the race. I came across the finish line first and they were staggered. There's this photograph about half a wheel back, half a wheel back, half a wheel back. And there I am, 47 years old at the moment, then (laughs) winning an elite race. And it was a a category one elite race because there were five countries represented. I I have to say, listen, I'm sure they thought I was never going to hang on as long as I did. And they probably let me go longer than they should have. But that's part of it. Being underestimated is part of life. Yeah, oh, it definitely is. Yes, yes, yes. So, so that's addictive because you don't know. And if you allow yourself to not know, instead of deciding you can't, then you open up the world of possibilities. When we say 
and this is my work, you know, in self-talk, what we say to ourselves is the most powerful thing we can hear. If we decide, oh, I can't do that race because they're elites, then okay, you can't. The opposite is far more exciting and enticing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that story. And I love that message because all of us, all of these, obviously us athletes, but also throughout lives, our lives, every once in a while, you find yourself, wait, 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 what am I doing here? Wait, I shouldn't be here. You're looking around and uh, you have to pinch yourself. Mm -hmm. Every time I get back on the track after being off season and I'm like, what, what, I'm on a bike with no brakes. What, how did I get here? What am I doing on this 45 degree banking? How did this happen? And I'm in my joy. Absolute joy. Fantastic. Well, I love that. And your Peloton rides are filled with stories such as that. Um, and, and, uh, it, you know, you take us along with, with your journey. How exactly did you discover the velodrome of all places? It's, it's an esoteric place. It's a place I've been, but how did you discover <laughs> your velodrome, the velodrome and your fast twitch muscle fibers for which your legs were built? Thank you. Yes. I discovered it through a fellow messenger whose bike I was curious about because they had these different handlebars. They had a time trial. I don't know why they were messengering on time trial handlebars, but there was a lot of um, wild bike stuff that goes on out there. And I noticed that he didn't have derailers and there was nothing to shift with. And I said, what, can you explain this bike to me? It's really sexy because it's so pared down. And I noticed he rode differently. Something in the way his body moved was a different connection with the bike and he never coasted. So I said, explain this to me. So he explains that the gear, the one cog in the back is locked to the wheel. So they move as one. If you were to pedal backwards, you'd go backwards. I said, what? <laughs> he said, it gets a lot of momentum. And you, depending on the size of the chain ring in the front and the size of the cog in the back, you can make it either much harder to turn over or much easier to turn over. And he said, do you want to try it? <laughs> so we went outside and, you know, the streets, it was actually safer to do it at that point. Um, I got on the bike and he said, just don't stop pedaling. And I experienced this completely new sensation of being deeply connected to the bike so connected because you 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 have to feel your momentum and you note that you any more pressure you put on the wheels you're going to pick up pace it's going to create momentum depending on the terrain and you temper that by either not pressing on the pedals or by resisting the momentum of the pedals you manage your speed mm -hmm. and that is a completely different experience of a bicycle than i'd ever felt and I, I was like, what, what is this for? Tell me more. And they explained the velodrome to me and I discovered the velodrome in Queens, Casita, and started, that was it. Wow. That was it. Hook, line, and sinker. They experienced the feeling, the sensation of that. It was like swimming in the air. It was, 
I don't know how else to describe it. It's dancing. This 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 dance with momentum. And one with the machine. Yes. Because you're yes. locked in. I mean, you're not locked. literally, well, you're literally locked in to the pedals. And you're locked into the pedals and often strapped in on top of the locks. You're not getting out. You're committed. And that, there is something about, okay, that's a little bit scary. You're locked into something that can get out of control. And there's, and then you're on a track with, potentially 30 other people who are shoulder to shoulder and knuckle to knuckle and hip to knee. And everybody has to temper themselves and hold steady and move predictably. And yet in this absolutely heightened awareness is such a calm for me. I think it is because you have to be completely aware it makes it, it gives me this zen almost meditative experience because you can't think about anything else nothing else can enter your awareness except to be present in where everyone is and the sounds of everything that's going on around you and the sound of breath and the sound of effort and is there do they sound like they're struggling it's time for me to go. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, it's so much of that very thing that when athletes retire, it's what they miss. That's yeah. the, because it is, it is addictive. That calm, <clears throat> that eye of the storm, that f- being surrounded by fire and fury, but you're in the middle and there's a, there's yeah. a calmness. Yeah. Like the eye of the storm. Yeah. It really does feel like that. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm completely addicted to it. Well, uh, recently, I believe it was, what, 2019, you went to world championships, like I Masters did. World Championships. And I've got to ask you about that. Oh, God. It was a fruitful trip. Yes, it was a fruitful trip. It was my third time doing Masters Worlds. I had done LA the two years before. I never thought I would end up getting to Masters World Championships. And yes, I wanted gold. It was great to be on the podium. And I I podiumed in 2017 and 2018. I had some silver. I had some bronze. But I wanted that jersey. You get the jersey when you get the gold. And it was with the team sprint with my amazing friend, and teammate Cami Cornelli. And, you know, she's got a great start. I don't have such a great start. We've won team sprints many times when I never even caught her tail. <laughs> In the team sprint, the first rider, you start next to each other. It's two right. laps on the track. The first rider gets off fast, and the second rider's job is to slip into the slipstream Right. As quickly as possible, draft for that lap. The and first get a, rider get a little bit of a rest in the well, draft, yes. right? Yes, relatively. Relatively, you save energy because of that draft for sure. Then the first rider gets out of the way, right at the line of that first lap being over. The second rider guns it for one more lap, and she has a quicker start, so she goes first. 
there are we we've won at nationals more than once and one time i think there were two bike lengths between us it was as though i did a 500 meter time trial by myself <laughs> so this trip was just absolutely so fulfilling not just because we won but because well my coach missy erickson really really uh she got me she knew what to do she knew what to say she knew how to coach me and i trust her implicitly and that relationship is everything yeah you need someone to take care of you and that person needs to know how to take care of you how to be tough on you mm. and how to be soft with you and when and I have struggled in my starts, those standing starts where the bike is in the gate and you're coming from zero and you have to torque a tremendous amount of power to get the pedals to start rolling over and get mm -hmm. them up to speed. And we've noted that I was so in my head, shoulders down, arms straight, mm -hmm. hips back on this count, look up, chest up, breathe, like all of this, this checklist. And I remember her telling me, just ride the bike. Just go. Go like you're, you're trying to pass her. Not like you're trying to get in behind her. You're trying to pass her. And just threw out everything. I threw out the, the checklist. I threw out all the words, all the thoughts. And boom, hold that line and go. Yeah, and that's, that's something that I found with my races is that if I remembered something from them, that was bad. Right. But if it was, if it was all automatic and it was like some, it was a, you know, the lizard brain was taking over. That's when you find your sweet spot. Yes. And that's exactly what happened. And that's, that's what happens. That's often leads to an incredible performance. Yeah. It's a transcendent, it's a transcendent uh, experience, a fleeting uh, doesn't happen that often, no. but when it no. does, there's, you know, magic just happened. Yep. How does, how does that world championship influence, uh, in the training of being coming a world champion, uh, influence your Peloton workouts afterwards? I, it, it just, it, it reinforces, we don't know what we're capable of. Hmm. It reinforces that we all have a tremendous amount of self-doubt and it, you don't have to be officially an athlete actively competing in a recognized sport. We have self-doubt in life and we have self-doubt when it comes to whatever our finish lines are and we create obstacles that don't need to be there. And so the lessons from my experience racing and racing at that level are no matter what's on your finish line, know what it is, whether it's the job that you're trying to get, the education you're aiming for, the test you're trying to pass, being very clear about what is on that finish line and acknowledging your self-talk in regards to it is the lesson. Because what you say, while it won't guarantee the outcome, Mm -hmm. It will create possibility. It's, it's, 
it's an inarguable fact that if we decide we can't do something, we won't do it. Clearly. And I remember a race back in the 90s. I think it was 1996. And there was a girl at Casina who was unbeatable. And she was a tiny thing, which really got my goat. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait a second. She was unbeatable. And I remember being ahead in the last lap. I was ahead of her. And then I heard her coming. I felt her coming. And I said, yeah, she got it. Mm. I let her have it. I literally, after the race, I recognized. I, I heard her coming and I decided to like athletically kowtow because she was the queen. And I recognized like I didn't even fight. I didn't even try. I wasn't even hurting. Uh. And so, you know, there's a couple of races at a time you, you know, other groups go and then you go again. So I had another chance and I ended up in the same situation where I was ahead. And I said, you know what, what if I can go a little faster? And it was the first time I was like, I am, I am, I can, I will. Like these words started like creep into my head. And I was like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) It literally was like, huh. And I didn't nail it down at that point. Right. The thing that would just resurface. And I won that race. Hmm. I changed my talk. I changed my self-talk. I changed my chatter. So to answer your question about how does the world championships affect and influence my classes and how I teach at Peloton, it is all about bringing awareness to what is your goal? What are you saying to yourself? And choosing words to say to yourself when it gets really hard. Right. Because if you have that in your pocket, if you have it as a little capsule to to go to, it's like you're armed. It becomes armor. It becomes protection for your belief in yourself. Yes, your rides are um, definitely, I, I found them each to be kind of a metaphor for life um, in, the, in, in the way that you construct them. And, and I, did, I did your most recent climb ride yesterday. And, and, oh. and so, so just to, an example for listeners that uh, have not, are not familiar with Peloton or have not done a Peloton ride. You said this, we're warming up and going right into the wall because that's just how it is sometimes. And we get to practice it here. Yes. Yeah. I thank you for noting that. I I wanted to create this class a little differently than usually than we usually do, which is the warm up, which is a standard warm up, reset, and then go. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're riding outside, well, your warm up you're dependent on the terrain, of course. And you, you know, you take it a little bit easier if you happen to start on a hill as much as you, your gearing will allow. Right. But, you know, sometimes you just got warmed up and you got to you go. No, you don't get a moment to collect yourself. You've got to sink in now. And it is how life is. And 
you know, in teaching, there's always trying to balance what's a reasonable effort. What's reasonable? Well, everything is reasonable mm-hmm. if if presented properly. If I tell you it should feel challenging and you can still talk, I'm not asking you for something unreasonable. Right. <laughs> and I try to be very, very, very clear about those effort cues so that people leave feeling successful. I very, very attached to not producing a class that is so hard that people feel unsuccessful. You've got to feel successful. And when I hit it right, that's what happens. And they surprise themselves. I heard there right. were a few P there were a few PRs on that ride. <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, I was not feeling super pep- peppy <laughs> and I suffered quite a bit on that ride. But, um, you know, even when suffering, there's something, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, transcendent about the experience of completely getting immersed in a task um, yeah. uh, scored by music. Um, you kind of forget your troubles. Um, or at least try to make better sense of them. That's what I try to do. Yes. Yeah. That again, it goes back to that, that rhythmic movement. I think that that becomes a meditative thing, even if you're struggling and like you're fighting and you're breathing and you're cursing, there's still a meditative thing about that rhythmic movement that helps us work things out. Yeah, for sure. And that brings up music, um, music in your rides. Um, Clearly, you have curated that carefully. Um, Thank you for that acknowledgement. Yes. Like you, you obviously put a lot of work. I mean, I'm curious, how, how the heck do you come up with all of these different soundtracks for all of these different rides with all of these different themes and oftentimes make yourself <laughs> become emotional in the process? <laughs> you know, th- those roots as a dancer and the feeling of music and how music makes you want to move. Uh, it, it comes from my entire life. And so at a very early age, my father built me a dance studio in the basement of our house. And I spent a lot of time down there going through records and remember records <laughs> yeah I have some right back <laughs> playing there. records and I we had an eight track in the basement and we had the Star Wars eight track and that's some pretty dramatic music yeah John Williams yes free dancing making stuff up to Star Wars and and other stuff and um, just, it felt so good to be so connected to that music and to, to lift when it lifts and to turn when it goes crazy. And so that was deeply, deeply in me. So creating these, creating classes of epic climbs and intense intervals and finish lines, it's like scoring a movie mm. in my mind. And there's a story to the songs. And I want, even when it's a fun pop class where I might not be going too deep 
on anything. I, I will still want there to be a story there, a story of joy and a story of feeling compelled to move. And my favorite are those instrumentals. And there's something about no words mm. in the music where, okay, yes, you, you don't have lyrics to distract you, which can be challenging because I think there's, there's people who come to the bike in order to check out. And, you know, just don't want to think about how long it is, don't want to think about how hard it is, and just want to sing along, which is very powerful and very, very important. It is very important to have that. It is equally important to check in mm. and to, at moments, have music with no words so that you can hear yourself. Whether it's just hearing your breath, and or hearing the words in your head. Because when we start to listen to what we're saying to ourselves, we create the opportunity to catch ourselves in self-talk that's harmful. And when we can, when we practice catching ourselves, then we create the opportunity to change. We have to have the opportunity to do that first it's so, so that we can make space between automatic and choice because we listen to what we're telling ourselves we're an autopilot and we don't realize that we can change the channel mm. changing the channel seems strange it's like well wait this is what i feel i feel angry sad frustrated fill in the blanks but even if you don't, what if you just changed the words and saw what happened? What does it feel like to say the opposite words? I had a big revelation, and this is going off topic of music for a second, but I think mm -hmm. it, it, bears, it, it bears sharing. We'll come back to the music. As you know, I started bike racing, that was in the 90s. I had my daughter in 99. She's 22 now, almost 22, <laughs> time flies. And I gained a lot of weight. And I, I tried to console myself with, okay, you discovered there was an athlete in you and you had that period of joy and that's awesome. And now you've gained this weight. Doesn't look like it's coming off too easily. What are you going to do to feel like proud again? You were so proud on the bike and now you're not moving. So I thought I will embrace my size by becoming a plus size model. Mm -hmm. We'll celebrate. So I went to QVC and I auditioned and they said, we love your walk. We love your style, but you're not big enough. What? You're too small. You're too small to be a plus size model. So if you wear this, this set of pads, which was a whole set of bust and back and belly and butt and thighs that you would stuff into 
pantyhose mm-hmm. and place them on your body. And then you could wear the plus size clothes. I, this is just wild. I've been too big for everything all my life. Now I'm not big enough, but they're going to make me with this padding set, but we can't put you in short sleeves for the spring and summer line because your arms will look too small next to your padded body. It, oh it was the, the, the crystallization of not being allowed into the short tutu because my legs were too big and now not being allowed into the short sleeves because my arms were too small. And again, the reinforcement of here we are again, not built for anything I want to do, except for that bike, except for that bike. So I spend about a year plus size modeling. And every time you walk up to the mirror, before you go onto the set, you have to check and make sure your zipper works and make sure your hat's on at the right angle and you're putting on your posture. And as an athlete, you know, we train our muscles Mm -hmm. so that we can go through certain movements without fatigue or with fatigue, but keep going anyway. I tell you, I got sore from standing up so tall and proud, (laughs) (laughs) pulling my shoulders back, holding my head up high. And I think that if proud was a muscle, that I actually made that stronger, even though I didn't necessarily feel proud, I made myself proud. And I think that there's some science in, there's some synapse connected one day after doing this long enough and getting it strong enough. And I looked in that mirror and I heard myself say, as I've heard myself talk to myself a lot, You've been missing the point, Christine. I kind of did a double take on myself. And what I heard myself say to myself was, it is, none of this is about, your success is not about being bigger or smaller. It is about discovering how strong you can be. Get back on the bike. That's where you had joy. That's where you were proud. Get back on the bike. And within a month, I was certified to teach cycling. This is going to be my point of entry. I need a job. (laughs) So I said, let me just try this. And I took a class, and here we'll circle back to music. I took a class. It was horrible. And the music was just not my thing. The teacher was mean and aggressive and sort of berating and a negative, negative motivation. And I, I just sat there thinking, this could be something beautiful. This, this really could be something. And then I went and got certified. And that's where that, all of the deep musical connection I had as a child, dancing, started. I'm like, wow, I get to do something with this now. And I learned a lot of music and continue to learn a lot of music all the time, always listening, always listening. Back when we went shopping in stores, I would hear a song play in a store and I would stop and get near mm-hmm. the speaker and Shazam it. Like, I need this for a warm up. I need that for an epic climb or something from a movie. And that the amount of time I would spend researching, what was the song from the 37th minute of this film? Um, 
because those moments, if they got me, they're going to get somebody else. And they do. Yeah. There's nothing more. It's just so powerful to have that music of the right temperature to, to turn into wings as you're trying to finish climbing that hill. Well, it's a, the Peloton is a, is a powerful tool that yes. is affecting, it affects all of us and seems kind of silly. I've always thought, why in the world would I ride a stationary bike when I can hop up my real bike? Right. But there are reasons. There are reasons. And, you know, I had a little bit of a bad crash and I don't ride anymore because of that. Yeah. So, and, and I do miss it. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. But I'm going to ask you, what does it say on your right wrist? This says, I am, I can, I will, I do. And it's really fuzzy. It's time to get it redone. (laughs) I haven't looked at it in a while. It needs to be redone. I'm going to need to look into that. You want to know my left wrist, too. I do know your left wrist, but I want you to tell me what it is. (laughs) (laughs) On my left wrist is to thine own self be true. Mm -hmm. That is Shakespeare. And that is, I mean, those are words to live by for everyone for all time. To thine own self be true. And then it shall happen. And then it shall pass as the night, the day that thou canst be untrue to any other. Wow. You know, we spend a lot of time, especially with social media, there's there's all this pressure to pretend that we're better than we are, to put on our best show. And, you know, there's, there's value in not dragging your stuff out into the open. But at the same time, if we are not dealing with what's true, if we're not being true to ourselves, then it's like we're living beside ourselves, almost like an observer. And I just can't live that way. I feel like I struggled with that. And that's why I stamped it on my arm a whole bunch of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like 13, 14 years ago. And then, of course, I am, I can, I will, I do. Which, of course, is your favorite mantra that you yes uh, you 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 mentioned quite often on your rides yes it seems to encapsulate things and you know it had like peeked into my head here and there but the first time that it landed i was teaching a cycling class shortly after i was certified and i was playing a song called Strobe's Nanafushi by Kodo, who's Japanese Kodo drums, instrumental. And it was the last song in class and we we're climbing this hill and out of, out of the ether, I want you to reach down and turn it up until you think you can't. Then you tell yourself, I am, I can, I will, I do, now go. And the moment landed like, like glass cracking, like just boom. And the room erupted and for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then months afterwards, 
I received feedback that that was a powerful moment, that that moment stuck with them, that they can't get the words out of their head. And I was like, I can't get it out of my head either. And funny, I used to wait to play that song again and wait to the same moment in the song to say the cue again. And one day I was like, oh, you can say it anytime you want. <laughs> and it's back, that was back when like you used to make a CD and teach the same class for like a week at a time. And then you make your class for the following week and you teach that for a week. Um, when you traveled to different locations, <laughs> it was a different world. So then I added it to my email signature. Then I got the Twitter and then it just, it became, it started, it became my identifier. And then it became my workshops. Tell me, tell, tell me a bit about uh, your work off the bike. So off the bike, I do workshops in self-talk called word shops. That mm -hmm. is all about the words that you're using to tell your story. We are all storytellers. And as I mentioned before, we listen to the story we're telling ourselves all day and it's full of junk sometimes, a lot of junk. And so in these word shops, which cover a range of topics from, you know, where is your confidence come from to what are your, what are your personal terms and conditions? A range of topics. And I tell stories. And those stories inform a writing exercise that we do at the end. And it goes like this. We all know where we want to go. You have Google Maps, you put in your destination. Mm -hmm. You cannot get directions until you know where you are. Uber can't get you and take you where you want to go unless you know your point of origin. Hmm. I am where. So we take a few minutes and it's writing, free writing. And participants are encouraged not to judge themselves. Hmm. Do not second guess what you write. Free write without hesitation, without doubt, without self-judgment. I am. Where are you? Say everything that is true. Then we move on to I can. What can you do about it? Well, <laughs> when it comes to human beings thinking about what they can do, we are wired and trained to request permission hmm. for what we can do. And I encourage participants during this section to, you don't need permission. You don't need permission. And what if there are no boundaries on what you can do? There are no financial boundaries. There are no fear boundaries. There are no doubt boundaries. You can say you want a divorce. Scary. You can go skydiving. You can learn how to do a hand. You can do anything. I will. What will you do about it? Mm. I will feels like pressure though. And in order to free ourselves and really allow this exercise to, to really be worthwhile, we have to take the pressure off. So it doesn't matter if you will do any of the things that you're about to write down today, 
tomorrow, next week, next year, or in 10 years. Simply allowing yourself to write it down is a huge step in capturing something that could have been fleeting and taking that first step to nail it down. I will. Just write it down. Hmm. We come to I do. I do have a Masters World Champion gold medal. I did not have one the year before I got one. (laughs) But to say out loud, I do win this race before it is true is profoundly affecting. I ask people to consider themselves. Imagine you have arrived in that place where you want to be, that destination. The things that you say and the things that you do in that place are very different than the things that you say and the things that you do where you are now. So imagine, imagine, what do you do when you've arrived in this place? I do speak my truth. I do stand my ground. I do take these risks. Then we go back and we edit. And we make four very tiny sentences with as little words as possible. I am afraid. I can speak up. I will say these words. I do set myself free or whatever it is that each person comes up with. And depending on the setting, sometimes I've had, I had a room of 88 people hand their paper to the person next to them and each person read someone else's. There was something so empowering and freeing about having the pressure off You don't feel the vulnerability so much Mm. because somebody else is reading it. And the empathy that was cracked open by reading someone else's words and realizing how you could have written the same thing and did possibly. Because when you boil it down to the least words possible, suddenly so many of the words are the same and we are all afraid and we all want to be proud. So that's what word shop is. Christine, amazing. You've had a fascinating life's journey. You continue to, to share your message, not only with I am, I can, I will, I do, and word shop, but also amongst the hundreds of thousands of us on Peloton, for which I count myself as one of them. So thank you for uh, joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. And, and sharing some of your personalized uh, wisdom to all of us. I'm just asking the questions I'm asking myself out loud. And um, I'm honored to be able to do that. So thank you for having me. This week, I asked Christine to share some of her favorite song lyrics because of her lifelong connection to music. Her first tune is by British singer-songwriter Jack Garrett, and it's called Surprise Yourself. And no, I'm not going to sing it. 
but it goes like this. Take a pen and write this down. Draw something that can't be found and learn to walk again somehow. You know you might surprise yourself. Christine's next song is titled The Cave by chart-topping band Mumford & Sons with the lyrics, Because I need freedom now and I need to know how to live my life as it's meant to be. Her final choice is from London-based alt-pop duo Oh Wonder, and it's a song called Alleluia. There's a crown covered in glitter and gold, and I'm gonna wear it, whether you like it or not. I hope you had as much fun as I did listening to Christine's stories. You can follow her on Instagram at I am, I can, I will, I do, all one word, no punctuation, or Facebook at Christine Dear Cole dash Peloton. And of course, her website is christinedearcole.com, one word, no apostrophe. I'm John Moffat, and thank you for joining us today on Sports Life Balance. Until next week, everyone.